I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room We let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerds got no time for no caca Sass in class, yes that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel, say what you want Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. But we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it white, Chris. 2022. Jesus Christ. How did we get there so fast, Jenny? (laughs) (laughs) It's been a a slow one already. Exactly. January was a killer. Right. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. You hear his voice, Chris Derrick in the building. What's up, Chris? How you doing, boss? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing yeah. good. I'm doing really good. I have, um, uh, I just I have a lot of development right now, and uh, I'm just trying to get things really rolling quickly. I just heard some interesting news. Uh, about my about my boy Sean Tretta. He just got the uh, he's gonna show on her on the Zorro thing that CW's doing. Um, I gotta hit him up about it. He just <laughs> he just texted me. I just hit him. I said, "Hey man, thanks." He just texted me back. So I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna hit him up later. Um, that so I, I I don't know. I'm 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 just like I'm laying the groundwork for what the next gig is. Right, um, I'm super excited about my horror movie. Oh my god, dude! Like. I got to a scene yesterday that was really fucking hard. Yeah. Um, it wasn't hard to write, like, like, like I knew what it was gonna be, but it was like so emotionally painful on the characters. I was like, God damn! Now I feel tired. Now I gotta like take a shower. It was fucked up. What happened is fucked up. um, It's really fucked up what what had to happen in that scene. And I just was like, I can't believe I'm making them doing this. And then I was like, oh, how can I twist the knife just one more turn? (laughs) One more turn. I thought I I had it really cool. I did have it really cool. But then I I got up and walked in the room. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Mm -hmm. If I can change this one part, it'd even be even worse. so yeah, um, it's keep just, keep putting them in a the corner, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like you know, it's it's one of those things where because uh, you know, I this horror thing. So I wrote it, you know, so it was like pretty tough in terms of just what's going on. But then I was like, oh, I can add a Hitchcock piece right here. I can add <laughs> you would Spence and a bit of what. Hey, that's an interesting. Uh, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I mean, uh, the Hitchcock piece, Mookie's. Uh, one of Mookie's, the burner uh, project is sort of loosely based on strangers on a train. So okay, okay, Big Hitchcock dweeb over here, massive Hitchcock nerd. <laughs> yeah, there um, there's talk. Who's gonna? Who? I think Chris Kaiser. You know the, the former WGA president. He I know was writing a draft. For Ben Affleck to do a remake of Stranger on the Train. Yeah, I think that was a Fincher thing from a couple of years ago. Yes. 
Yeah, I think it was Fincher was going to do, but I think that Ben Affleck's going to, he might direct it now. Oh, Um, oh, speaking of Fincher, he's doing some crazy ass, crazy ass thing in Paris right now. Is he? Yeah. I I, I don't, I don't remember what it is. I saw something last month about, I just kind of clicked by something and um, he shoots, it might be in London, but I'm pretty sure it's in Paris. Some, some crime serial killer type thing in Paris. Yeah. Fassbender with Michael Fassbender, yes? I think so. I think yeah, so. Yeah. Which, which to me, it's like I'm always excited when these filmmakers who are like so kind of like American based, they go overseas and do something. You know, yeah. like I, I know it's not, it's not, uh, uh, it's not proper to talk about Woody Allen right now. But, <laughs> but those films he made in Europe, like, you know, like Matchpoint and like uh, Vicky Christina Barcelona were like so fascinating after all, after decades of just doing stuff in New York. And then it's like, okay, wow. Because it just kind of, it, 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 it revitalized him. It'd be interesting to see like what it does with Fincher, you know, just being there and like, yeah. you, you can't not like eat the food and his over the culture if you're going to be there for like six months. You know, oh, yeah. making something. So, I'm curious. Interesting. Curious. Yeah. So, if you guys are grown, we're gonna go ahead and jump right on into the show. So today we got our big sis in the building, Jenny Frankfurt. Yeah. Everybody, hello from, from uh, Finish Line Script Competition. Uh, what's up, Jenny? How you doing, girl? Welcome I'm to the great. show. Thank you. It's been a. It's been a. a well, it's been a year, I guess, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been a minute. <laughs> I think about it. It's funny. On Zoom, one more time. Exactly. Um, We are an international competition, and our winners for the last two. Well, Mookie is from is in Australia. He's Mm -hmm. from he's in Sydney. He's from Mm -hmm. India, but and last year our winner was uh, is still uh, in the UK, and so we haven't been able to sit in the same room, not only because of COVID, (laughs) because of. Everybody's well, across the globe. Yeah, it's tricky now about getting these meetings where people are like, you know, I ah, just do them on Zoom, do them on Zoom, you know. But yeah. I feel like, you know, I feel like there'll be a time when you want to come here, Mookie, and just like enjoy what it means to do the Hollywood bottle tour. And oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. I did a version of that very, very, very briefly in my early 20s off the back of some rom com spec. And I remember, like, it was kind of my first time in LA. Um, the people I'm meeting, these were kind of the definition of generals. They've just set up through one of the producers who was attached to that particular thing. Um, and I recall, like, being super excited. I was in LA for the first time. I had this whole kind of outsider perspective of what it was going to be like. Wasn't expecting to sit in traffic jams most of the time. I think I had <laughs> the Hollywood um, um, idea of what it would look like. Hollywood with a capital H. Turns out... It was just meetings. It was just drinking bottles of water in various production companies. Yep. It was, uh, it was, it was nice and op- it was a good eye-opening experience. I remember being on the flight back to um, New Zealand. I lived in New Zealand at the time, and me and my buddy, I was riding with a partner back then. We were like, we could have done that with ten phone calls. We didn't have to spend <laughs> all that money. So I will say the silver lining of this terrible pandemic has been. I'm, I'm into the zooms. I dig the zooms. I like the zooms. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, thirty-six zooms. So, yeah, it's, it's weird. Hey, zooms. Hold on one second. Hey, Jenny, you don't have to have it happen to have a any earbuds or anything, do you? Oh, you got like a yeah, little reverb or something on your end. 
Um, what were you thing, saying, Chris? The thing about Zoom meetings is, um, you know, I've had a lot of success with them of late, mm-hmm. you know, um, but that's by necessity, right? Um, but a few people that I met over Zoom were like, I was reconnecting once I finished my show, and um, I was like, and they were like, oh, we have to meet up, we got to meet up, we got to meet up, we got to meet mm-hmm. up. Like they wanted to meet up, so I'm meeting with like somebody at ABC in like two weeks and someone at CBS in like that same week. Um, so it's, it, I, I, I feel like it's interesting to meet people in person in LA because you get kind of a vibe from them. Sure. And things you can kind of like pick up about them in their office when you get to see the whole office mm-hmm. um, that, you know, but that might help you in the meeting. Um, but at the same time, I get what you're saying. I mean, the flight, from Cleveland to LA is, you know, it's, it's probably a fraction of the money and a fraction of the time <laughs> that flying from like Wellington or Christchurch, and you got to spend what you got to jump to like I, I'm not even sure how with what, what the leg is. You go to Tokyo first and come here, or do you is it a straight flight? I mean, Jesus, I, I know it's 15 hours, 16 hours, like minimum. Yeah, it's a hike. Yeah, you know, a friend so, of mine just got back. A friend of mine just got back from Tehran. She was like, it was a 24-hour flight. Ugh. The whole trip was 24, not flight, but 24 hours total in the, in the travel time. I was like, God damn, that's like crazy. That's but, hey, Jenny, let me hear you with now. Mookie, can you hear me? Yeah, that's much better. Okay, cool. The thing with Mookie is because uh, Sydney is so far ahead, he's, he's, on, he's in Friday now. So Mookie gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning every morning. This is before, before you know, the, you know, he won and had to, you know, kind of, had to kind of adjust to some, you know, schedules here. He took time off of work and he, you know, he took a couple, like, he took some time off and we just slammed him with about, about 36 meetings. Nice. nice. Wow. About like a two, Fun two, times, yeah. two months. Yeah, month and a half time, you know, it was, and hey, you know, guess what happens when you um, have about 36 meetings? Stuff happens. That's good. <laughs> so, well, we yeah, it's good well, stuff. Well, we we're going to get into all that, Jenny, yeah. for sure. So yeah. let's go ahead and set up. Um, welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you again for hanging with us. If you guys are grown, we'll jump on in. So today, like you said, Jenny Frankford brought in the new winner of the Finish Line Script Competition. Um, I'm going to kill your name, but I'm going to try to do it anyway. So, Mukilan <laughs> Tengmani. Mukilan Thangamani, you're almost there. Nice one. It's Mookie, same thing, though. Same thing, same Mates thing. usually call me Mookie, so let's go with Mookie. Uh, I'll keep it like that, that's for sure. So, welcome to the show, man. <laughs> Thank you. Lovely to be here, man. I'm excited. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are, you know, where you come from, you know, how you got into the game of writing and producing and directing and whatever it is you're doing over there. Sure. Um, how do I do this? I suppose, um, given the introduction and my name, it might be worthwhile just going to my, like, sort of my heritage. And then we'll, we can talk about the writer's journey a little bit, maybe. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I am Indian by heritage. I'm South Indian. Unfortunately, um, never really got a chance to grow up there. And I, and I say unfortunately, because it might have been nice to actually, you know, know something and connect some, connect with my heritage in a little way. But didn't get that chance when I was a baby. My parents, who were both high school teachers, moved to Botswana, which is in Southern Africa. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in Botswana till the age of 12, 13. Then we moved to New Zealand. And that's where I kind of went to film school, did my high school, that whole thing. 
And then my mid-twenties, I did what most Kiwis do when we're kind of bored in New Zealand. We just jump in a plane to Australia, and that's kind of what I did. <laughs> it's just down the street, right? <laughs> yeah. So I've been based out of Sydney for the past um, six, seven, eight years. Don't quote me in the time. It's blurred by, especially the past two years. Um, and yeah, just kind of been going on your classic outsider screenwriter journey, trying to break in. The bulk of my t my 20s in New Zealand was just spent working with producers there, with the Film Commission. The Film Commission is kind of the go-to spot to get development financing or actual production financing. It's kind of one of the few resources we have. So I spent the bulk of my time working with the Film Commission in various capacities. Um, and outside can, I, can, of that, I, can I interrupt you? I might, I might be interrupting you because we're having a conversation. Yeah, yeah do it, man. Do you guys... Mind? I've always been curious of how it works. I know, Chris, you know a little bit about it. Does it... How does because it's similar to how it works in England, is it now where the, yes. where the government, you know, yeah. so do they have like kind of a, 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 a raffle or something where they got to pick and choose who's who or just depends on how fast you get to them to get, you know, the money that you need for your project? Like, how does how does it really work there? In a way, um, I've actually dipped out of that whole scene for a while now for various reasons. But when I was a part of it, uh, it's almost like a contest. You know, they've got like submission rounds. You put in your submission packet. Um, what's the idea? What's the script? Who's the who like a grant. Yeah, it's a, effectively a grant. Okay. And okay. The, the, the typical preference back when I was involved in it was not go straight to um, kind of production financing. It was a, a couple of rounds of development financing. And that's precisely what it sounds like. I think you, you, were, you were sort of competing for anywhere from 15 to 25 grand. That's New Zealand dollars. So that's something like 8 to 15K US for development. And the idea was you get this grant financing, you get a script consultant um, who you pay with that financing, a portion of it, and you come back to them in 6, 10, 12 months with another draft. Oh uh, and you apply for more financing. And, it's you know, a long time. It's a it long is, time. It is absolutely a long time. And some people can get stuck in that cycle where I have friends who have spent literal years getting grant financing. That's all they've been doing. They've just been stuck in this kind of perpetual sense of development. Mm. Um, I've had other friends um, who've gotten quite, quite jaded in that and they just dipped out. You know, the Film Commission is amazing. They're trying to support local voices, especially um, more recently. They seem to be more about just supporting local talent as opposed to supporting local talent telling very, very specific Kiwi stories. Back when I started, I recall the big thing I would get, the note was, you're writing super strong, but it's very American. And for me, I was like, dude, that's that's not a bug, that's a feature. You know, and that's that's not a, that's not like an accident. Like like most kids who, who sort of traveled around a bit, like growing up, the one kind of connecting thread in your life is Hollywood, it's TV. I was a latchkey kid, you know, like, the village I grew up in Botswana, after three o'clock was literal crickets. There was nothing to do. So all we'd do, my mates and I would be watching these crappy B movies, these amazing John Woo movies. My parents, my mom actually were, told me that she's not surprised I went into this because she came back from school one day. She's a teacher. And she saw me with all the other kids in the neighborhood, wrangling them in the backyard, choreographing this John Woo um she got scenes. Scenes and yeah yeah and so she was like yeah when you told us you wanted to go to film school she was like yeah that tracks that that works that fits yeah, but the, to go back to the point yeah you can just start that whole development cycle in new zealand it's it's, it's, it's its own world chris was asking something Oh, sorry, Chris, mate. Talk to I just want to point yeah. something out. It's interesting that you say that your writing is very American and then you talk about John Woo because his, although his 
you know, his films have had they're Hong Kong, but there's that muscularity that he kind of picked up from doing American films. So it's interesting you say that because there's there's always those guys who, who whose work that I think kind of like transcends like totally. where they're from. That is like oh, because they're huge Hollywood fans, you know. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, like the great thing about like sort of filmmaking and um, sort of cinema, especially in kind of in the, the projects that sort of cross like international boundaries, that they all become part of this one big global conversation where kids and film snobs everywhere kind of connect over the same thing. Because like John, John Woo, for example, is loved <laughs> by both like the biggest film wankers and the most lowbrow <laughs> film fans as well. You know, and like to me, like that's totally my sensibility, that crossover stuff. That's cool. Indeed. That's cool. All right, so 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 your parents took you from Botswana. Uh, is it? Because I, I was trying to place your accent. I was like, where is this accent from? Because it doesn't totally sound New Zealand. It's a combination of New Zealand. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so I've got the classic third culture kid international accent. What happens is you grow up in these schools <laughs> that are kind of um, they have they got lots of American and Canadian teachers. So yeah. that forms a part of it, and then you know you watch a ton of TV. And then you go overseas to different countries. So if you hang out with my social circle, which is 90% third culture kids, by accident, not by design, we all sound weird and you can't place any of us. No, yeah, because I was like, it sounds South African, but does he grow up in South Africa? Then you're like, oh yeah, Botswana is like right there. So a little yeah, bit, there you go. a little bit. Yeah, you know, interesting. So, all right, so 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 you've done the the development money for a little bit. You got tired of doing that cycle, which I know a lot of people in England and in France and Italy have done that thing. You do get stuck in it. It's an interesting way to make some money. And if you do get to the rounds, you can get your movies, like partially financed a degree. So what was the, the turning point for you that said, I need to get out of this and, and, and do what you're doing now? Mm-hmm. This was, um, it was kind of like a parallel journey. So while I was doing what I could to kind of get the film commission's attention back in my, um, 20s somehow i got the attention of some freelance producers based out of singapore and australia at the time um i was writing rom-coms at the time um they the work had got to the hands they loved the material they're kind of like all right let's put something together they thought they had access to a line of financing and i'm sure this is a very common story like you meet producers who are quite sincere mm-hmm. in their intent and motive to put together a production but they were like you know what dude don't lean away from your voice this is kind of like, because I, I, I was self-taught based off like the 90s and early 2000s spec writers in Hollywood, right? That's how I was teaching myself how to write, reading all that stuff. I was like a big tracking board dweeb. So they were kind of like, don't switch off that part of you. You don't unlearn that. Um, lean into it. And so that's what I did. I kind of partnered up with them for a while, tried to get a couple of projects off the ground. Um, it was very, it's, it's always liberating to work with collaborators who tell you not to unlearn what you think is your big strength. Um, and so... I think this is like kind of like the dawn of the, the the contest thing as well. Every kind of year, there'd be some big new contests in the scene, and like they they were all kind of giving what people like me wanted, which is access to a world that we were literally separated like from with a with a giant ocean. And so I started doing the contest thing. I'll be quite honest. When I did the contest thing, it was never to win. Um, when you're sort of self-directed, the contest circuit is mostly a way to give yourself a deadline. Otherwise, you're kind of Self-directing your year, you have no idea what you're writing towards. So I would use the contest thing to give myself personal deadlines and to also see if the concept I was working on were vibing with people. You know, regardless if you placed, if you went up a couple of rounds, that's a that's a sign that you got something going. So I was gonna um, say, sorry, I was gonna say that um, that's how I came up too. 
you know, and I've been in Sundance and Austin and all of them. And the reason I did was exactly similar to what you did, but I took it one step further. So after I had all my friends, you know, read it or did a reading of it or whatever, I would put it out to said competition just to see where I was. Oh, it's just just a semifinalist. Okay, I still need some more. Oh, it's a finalist. Okay, I'm pretty close. You know what I mean? It wasn't about winning. It was about trying to- It's this perfect yardstick, right? Because when when all you've got are you kind of your writer friends giving you feedback, there's always that voice in the back of your friend saying, yeah, sure, Steve loves it, but Steve loves everything I write. I don't know if I can actually trust him. So, you know, it's like- (laughs) Well, and and also if you do the contest- Damn, Steve. It's it's a, you know- it's a blind read, you know, like yeah. people reading it don't know you. So there's no kind of, um, what, there's no baggage to what it is. Like you said, you know, your friends are going to read it and they, they, your friends might not shit on you the right way that you need, <laughs> totally. uh, you know, like when you're working on something, you know, they'll, they'll do the best and not, you know, whatever. I mean, that's part of, part right. of it. They won't do, do like Jenny and give you five, six, seven, eight pages of freaking notes. I can tell you that. Yeah. And be like, sure. hey, go back to the drawing some... board with this one, son. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people use, use finish line for, um, uh, obviously to, to check to see where they're at and, and you know, maybe they'll win, but to, for scheduling, you know, to, to keep on a schedule because we have a really, we, because finish line is about rewriting. We, we, we keep, um, we have, a, it's almost a year long competition. So there's these constant opportunities to, to rewrite and to get notes or to re- get notes from Steve or whoever. And, um, you know, um, a lot of people say afterwards, I'm sorry I didn't win, but it really kept me on a, you know, a schedule and got me to this draft and this draft. So I'm happy that it's you know, benefiting writers in Good that thing. way. It was designed that way, too. So it's working. And that was kind of like one of the um, points of difference with Finish Line. I mean, I think every writer can <laughs> relate to that sensation of regardless of whether it's a contest or submitting it to a producer you think a draft is perfect, you hit that submit button or that send button, and then the, the very next second, you're like, oh, fuck, I should have changed that scene. Oh, yeah. And like, with <laughs> finish line, you get, you get that kind of in-between time. Especially with Flowerfield, they um, giving me the time in between drafts just to sweeten things and tweak things was like a massive help. Although I will say the stuff I felt super strong about sweetening after I'd won, Jenny was like, why'd you change that thing? I didn't think it needed it. So, you know, so that, that also happens too. It always happens. <laughs> exactly. It happens. You know, you know what? I love it. I've, I've said this before. I love it when I give a note um, and the writer's like, no, fuck, I'm not taking that note. Because that, I mean, that, mm-hmm. that to me um, makes me feel like this writer really understands their voice and right. you know, has a connection to it. And often there are times when I'll, you know, I'll, I'll either myself or, or another um, consultant who's giving notes will will say, you know, not, you know, not, not like this, but something like this. And then when we read the next draft, it's actually our line that we've suggested. <laughs> Guys, no, no, you've got to write it. <laughs> We're just saying, you know, kind of different. It's not working. You know, the beat's not hitting quite right here. So take a look. But hey, anyway, it, Flower Field is the winner and it, it's a great script. Great pass. I mean, look, I, it's something I feel is like a very interesting thing about getting notes from people. Uh, I mean, we talked about this a lot here, but it's like you really have to, I mean, like I always say when someone is giving you a note that is that you that that you know they understand what you're doing with the story. 
they're kind of letting you know that like something in that scene is not working. Sure. And it's kind of like up to you to kind of figure out what that is. And And it could just be, Oh, I didn't clarify this moment in the, um, you know, it's it's just it could be clarifying something. Like, like, you know, what I'm saying like like it's up to you to communicate the idea so specifically. I mean, like I I'll just give you guys an example. There's a scene in my horror movie where some people were reading it. I was workshopping the other day, and and there's a and and there's a moment that's like a jump scare, you know. But usually with jump scares, like the audience sees something and it's gone. And and when I wrote it. I didn't say that the element that's going to scare them disappears. I just wrote it going, oh, because I'm directing this. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to show the rest of it. And they were like, oh, what? The, that thing is still there? I was like, no, no, so I'm going to be gone. They're like, oh, well, you got to write that. You got to let us know that that part yeah, is Yeah, that's, oh, that's yeah, such a good point. You know, yeah. Chris, that's such a good point. A lot of it is that just like some of it is so, it's so minor. And the reason that people get like nine pages of script notes from us is because every time there is that, that bump, even if it's like rhythm or like, wait, is it still there? Or wait, you yeah. know, we, yeah. I just write it, you know, that they get that note, you know? So it's like, we're trying to get this script to the best place possible so that when we get it to, obviously if it wins, it goes out to producers, it's in, you know, that strong shape so that, right. you know, a producer is going to come and they're going to do their thing to it and so on. But, um, Jenny, but still, I've, it's going to be right. Picking up what Chris is talking about, what I've found is when somebody usually has a bump in my script, I usually go back just a couple pages and I'm like, oh, there's just that little thing. Kind of like Chris is saying, oh, I I forgot to say he's wearing a hat. Yeah. It's always Mm -hmm. something like minor, you know. Yeah. Yesterday I was giving notes and it was like, just make sure that we know that he's got a a phone in his hand. It's like. Right. So, but it, they just it, start it talking. It's totally, like, where, where did that come from? Right. <laughs> yeah, it, it can it's, be that simple. The you setup, know? but the it, setup. it, sure. but that tightens the whole. It tightens the whole thing because if you get taken out of the moment, who the hell? You know, it it right. can really go downhill from there. So, Mookie. Anyway, let me ask you. Um, so, did you had you heard about Finish Line before? How did you come across them? What made you decide to submit oh, there? Wait, wait, wait. This is a good oh, question. Yeah. I would ask him something else before, before okay. he gets to that because it's, it's part of the journey. You said you were writing rom-coms before. Yeah, man. Script you I was wrote writing to thrillers. Win. The script you wrote to win is something that's like some some high-end kind of terrorist Yeah, thing. definitely. It's a thriller. What was, your, the, the th- what was the moment that said, I want to change? Because a lot of times people who are writing rom-coms like – you know, it's it's a big shift in gears to go from that to writing thrillers. So I right, just right. that. So big motive, like I'll, I'll go, I'll rewind a little bit. So I was like lots of teenagers, very wide-eyed, idealistic, and naive. I assume this whole screenwriting, filmmaking thing would be the easiest thing ever. So I've always loved, you know, thrillers and action movies and rom-coms, and I was like, this is um, around the time when, like, I. One of the first um, movies that blew my mind was Kevin Smith's Clerks, you know, and like every other film dork. And when I read up about it, it's like this kid made a movie on credit cards. I'm going to be the new Kevin Smith. Um, and so I love Richard Curtis stuff. I wanted to get in the game to kind of be the brown Richard Curtis. And me as a wild eye, wide eyed kind of 18 year old, I was like, this is going to be super easy. 
I'm going to get into rom-coms. I'm going to write a bunch of rom-coms. They're going to be produced. They're going to be optioned um, in my 20s. And then... As, as they are, right? <laughs> exactly. Just like that. <laughs> snap of the finger, right? And then in my late 20s, what's going to happen is my other love, I'm going to now pivot into that just because, you know, I would have had so much success as a rom-com filmmaker. You know, it was, <laughs> it was, it was a no-brainer. This is me at 18. Jesus, and then, this is so, insane. I, I had no idea. <laughs> so... <laughs> I, I, I get into it, like I'm bashing our rom-coms, um, that's kind of how locally in the film scene in New Zealand people kind of knew me, they reached out to me to work on a bunch of different spec rom-com projects for them, and the only thing I can say is, I'm getting into my mid to late 20s, um, I've, I guess I've aged out of the genre, and by the genre I mean I was writing very Apatow-esque R-rated stuff, I had a very frat boy sense of humour, and I recall reading this thing, I was 25 or 26, and I read this rom-com that got optioned when I was 21 or 22. And I cringed from page one all the way to the end. I was like, this is fucking awful. I never want to, this is not me anymore. You know, it's a genre I love. And then throughout the entirety of my 20s, I had all these concepts, stuff like Burner that I was just kind of sitting on. The idea is, just like everyone else, I over overdose in every single like screenwriting blog and website, like WordPlayer and stuff. And the idea is, as a writer, have a brand. You know, if you're the rom-com guy, write be write rom-coms. If you're the thriller guy, write thrillers. So I would intentionally not write the concept, the thriller concepts that I wanted to because I thought, you know, you have to kind of align with that. Um, and then I recall, I'm 35 now, um, my 29th birthday turning 30. Um, I had like the cliche, almost super cliche, way too cliche turning 30 anxiety. And I was super bummed and depressed my birthday. And a, and a buddy took me aside, not in the industry. And he's like, dude, what's the deal? And so I kind of told him what I told all of you guys. You know, I'm your classic journeyman, my 20s. I've had some success, you know, things that have reaffirmed that I belong in this space, that I'd like, you know, I have ability as a professional writer, but I just haven't like, you know, had that thing yet. And so the, this friend was like, okay, so you've been kind of chasing other people's um, projects your entire 20s. You've been writing other producers' spec ideas and stuff like that. The next thing you write, you should be quite selfish about write the thing that you think is like a perfect um, snapshot or microcosm of your taste and sensibility right now and be very, very selfish with it. Say like, this is my baby, you know? And I thought that was super insightful, especially for a dude who isn't in the industry at all. The dude's a pilot. But um, so I was like, all right, I'm, I'm going to do that. So I went That's away. That's good advice. <laughs> I, I yeah, love Hitchcock. Um, my sister and all the other kind of Asian women in my, in my life throughout, throughout the entirety of my life have talked about things like bamboo ceiling and Hitting very specific kind of career obstacles. Wait, 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 the bamboo ceiling. Sure. Yeah, what's that? that? I've never heard of that. Google it. I won't is go that into the glass it, ceiling. It's, in the... it, it's a, it's a, it's sort of a riff on the concept of glass ceiling, but it's specifically something that Asian women in the West <laughs> say, the UK, um, America, New Zealand, Australia, and Canada. Oh, I get it now. Where, yeah, yeah, the bamboo. Where they find themselves in corporate spaces, being acknowledged for their abilities, but just for various reasons not being allowed to progress, and so. That along with it, my sister's experience that like their entire her entire life. I remember being 21 and saying she was like, "You should write a movie about this." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, but you know, first I'm a baby and I just don't have an angle into it." So I wrote a couple of drafts that were very um, art house drama, navel gazy. And then it wasn't until like, <laughs> I had this conversation with my buddy at 29. It's like, wait a second. I also kind of always wanted to do a um, millennial riff on Hitchcock's Strangers in a Train premise. So mm. I smashed those two things together, wrote Burner and the premise of that in a nutshell is what if there were an underground app that allowed women to trade anonymously trade the murders of terrible men 
Um, and the big the thematic core of that is is the whole um, bamboo ceiling thing. Um, so I went away, wrote that, bashed out in a couple of weeks. Um, it felt very, very liberating. And I think any time a writer writes something that's like aligned with them, it always feels liberating. It almost pours out of you. And so finished it, loved it. Same deal with Flowerfield is like, okay, I like it. My writer buddies like it, but does anyone else like it? And so I put it on the contest scene just to gauge opinion. It did super well, won a bunch. And um, so I was like, okay, cool. I need to be in this space. And this is me answer, finally answering a question, Chris. I think you asked it like an hour ago. Um, I always take the scenic route. <laughs> but like, and so at that point, after finishing Burner, I was like, okay, you firmly love this stuff. There's no need to be um, chasing that whole rom-com thing, especially if you now enjoy the genre more as a fan than as a creator in that space. And so that was kind of the pivot. So late 20s, reflecting, saying, and it wasn't, to answer the other, the other part of your question, it wasn't difficult. You know, there's that thing they say, where comedic performers make play really great serial killers, you know, because being, yep. being able to perform in comedy is its own skill that you can sort of calibrate and 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 tailor quite well to a dramatic role. And I think the same thing. You, you know why? Here's like here's my, Williams, right? Remember that? Uh, that oh, Robin Williams. I mean, crazy, crazy. Yeah. But here's here's my here's my interpretation of why. Because when actors always ask, I'm a former actor. <clears throat> they always ask me why, what should I do, and I'm like improv. And it plays into comedy. Mm -hmm. And the reason is comedians and comedy actors in particular, like a Robin Williams, you know, as an example, sure. are uninhibited by what they do. Because they're not concerned about looking crazy or ugly or stupid mm -hmm. or anything. So they can, they can go from here to here. So they can go big to small, right? And the other thing I was going to say, Chris and I talk about it at least every three or four episodes, is... We've interviewed together on the show dozens and dozens and dozens of writers and showrunners and producers and directors and everybody, actors. I will say this. I have every single person who's made it. I just interviewed the guy from the Bel Air show today. Mm -hmm. Same thing. Wrote a script that everybody's like, why are you writing this script? Every single time that somebody pivoted and and finally that's the thing that opened the door it was with a story or a script or something that somebody was like why are you making that you're the comedy dude why are you making that you're the right. drama guy <laughs> you know whatever the thing is that's the one you make it on because it came from the heart totally yeah, yeah. I, I completely agree all of that and i think um it goes it, it it works the same as a screenwriter you know the, the skills you pick up as a comedy writer in terms of even just the on the page stuff like the brevity, the fact everything has to be super lean, especially in comedy, because if that word is misplaced, you don't get the laugh. That right. translates. Yeah, exactly. That translates super well to thriller writing and action writing, you know? So, yeah, I, I don't think in the writer's journey, I don't think there's any such thing as like bad writing or writing that's taken you away from your end goal. I think it all helps. It all informs the journey. It all like gets you to where you need to be. Indeed. That's a good point. I mean, I feel yeah. like, I think, uh, you know, it's interesting that you... This bamboo ceiling thing is interesting. From what I watch from Burner, it's very fascinating. I I do feel like, you know, I think about this all the time. It, it's, it's like, where does some sort of like cultural specificity uh, come into play to adjust a story that we've seen a few times, and then all and then all of a sudden it becomes extremely fresh because. 
you know, I mean, I, I, you know, the thing that the thing that really makes a story work is what is specific about it that we haven't seen. I mean, you know, like last night, I had some friends over and they had um, Terminator Salvation on, you know, which I'd never seen. And I just was walking back and forth. I was like making food and all this kind of stuff. And like at every moment I was stopping at the TV, I was like, Oh, that's a moment. Oh, that's a moment from the first Terminator. That's a moment from the second Terminator. Oh, a, you know, and, and I was like, they're just rehashing everything that we already seen, mm-hmm. and, and and they're and they're just like, I mean, and yes, like all this money behind it, and, and and they're exploding some of this world that we've seen already. But I was like, if they just made it new on some level, it would have been cool. And I feel like what you're saying about what you've taken from your sister's, you know, the plight that she got suffers from some of the people, you know, some of the women is like, like, how does that take something that we love that's like a Hitchcock thing? You know, there's that new movie, I don't remember what it's called now, it's the new Soderbergh film. It's out this month with Zoe Kravitz, right? And, sure, yeah, yeah. and uh, um, it's a remake of uh, uh, rear window. You know, mm-hmm. she plays a woman up in San Francisco who is like a, uh, she's like a, she's like an agoraphobic, and she's and she's a, um, she's a tech person, and she starts, she sees the murder on like the TV screens and stuff like that. You know, and then no one wants to believe her because she's oh. she's kind of seen as like a, a, a too much of an eccentric because of her her. Agoraphobia, and it's like you look at the chair and you're like, oh, this is fucking a window. But it's done with a different woman and a different place and a different kind of thing. But you see that it's like the specificity just turned it where it's going to be interesting to see, you know. So it's it's interesting that you, you know, took something from your life. I think that's the thing too is that you take stuff from your life that is so unique to you. I think that if you really look into yourself, no matter who you are, you got something that that no one has quite experienced. And if you know how to take that and then shape it into a film story, you know, that becomes like a skill that everyone kind of loves because mm-hmm. that's where you can take, you know, you look at everything like a TV show and you're, when you're breaking story, it's like, you know, like, you know, all the tricks are the same, like all the shops are the same, what you're going to do. But then you're like, okay, how do we like change here? Like, you know, if the if the if the break in Act Two is going to be this, how do we do that? That we haven't seen that before, and it's like, oh, from the from your life that you can pull, and that and and it's going to be real because it's happened to you, is is totally a great skill. I can see why people are would respond so effectively to you in these meet these thirty six meetings that you had because they're going like, goddamn, like this guy like takes it from his life and he made it so that it wasn't so niche, you know. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Appreciate that. I mean, I guess yeah. and that, like for other writers, that, that's what voice is. Yes. It's about right. being um, confident and sort of vulnerable enough to say, here's a thing from my life that I think is relatable to everyone and actually having kind of the balls to just write it and as opposed to overthinking it. And I'm I'm the expert of overthinking everything before I start writing. So <laughs> when you kind of have that sort of internal click where you're like, this feels strong enough. I actually don't care if anyone else responds to it. I just want to get it out of me. Then I think that's always a good sign that you should write that thing. That's so important. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. And I was going to say what, what, what Chris was saying is, you know, I talk, talk to so many writers, um, you know, and I, I talk to all of the semifinalists after, you know, we announce the winners and just, you know, advice or blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we have long conversations they're the most fascinating conversations because, you know, often I'll say, 
well, how did you come up with this idea? You know, and it's, it is 90% of the time. It's something that like their great uncle did that, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, it's a story Personal. from the family. It's mm -hmm. something that just seems like it couldn't really be real or something. Mm -hmm. that doesn't, but it, but it, it has some connection. And then, you know, I think I asked you, I, I remember asking, um, Mookie's, uh, the, the winning script, um, Flower Field, is an hour, an, an hour long thriller pilot. It mm -hmm. takes place in a, an elite boarding school. And I remember Mookie saying to you, How did you come up with this idea? It sounds like my yeah. deadly class show a little bit. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting about this is that, you know, at first, uh, you know, first of all, the log line was really strong. So everybody was like, Oh, I can't wait to read this. And everything is about, you know, everybody wants high school shows and. Mm -hmm all of that and it was like oh wait a second this isn't really a high school show this is really more like uh, a cia show that happens to have a you know it, it's much uh more adult mm -hmm. uh, on, on a lot of levels and and stuff like that so it sort of changed um the people that thought i think thought like oh the next here's the next deadly class or you know mm -hmm. uh you know high school Umbrella Academy uh, or something. Umbrella Academy, yeah. you know, <clears throat> that we can find. It's like, actually, it's not, not that. It's, it, and it, what it is, is it's like Scandal meets the Night Manager. It's okay. like a high level kind of, you know, uh, it happens to be set in this world, you know, partially set in this world of a, of a like an elite boarding school. Right. But Mookie, tell me, tell us. Yeah, I was going to say, tell us how it's about. How, how that came about. Remember, you? I think you were reading an article about it. Yeah, sure. So like, you know, like most ideas, it's 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 rarely like one point of inspiration that triggers everything. It's usually a cocktail of things. And it's exactly the same case with Flowerfield. Um, I guess one of the first points of um, inspiration would be um, I, a bunch of your listeners probably saw this picture going doing the rounds and news articles a couple of years ago. And it was this picture of like a teenage Kim Jong-un um with like another teenage kid and i think the teenage kid wrote the article he's not obviously an adult now and he was like oh yeah i went to um boarding school with kim jong-un you know he's a weird kid we went to the same elite swiss boarding school yeah yeah, and that, yeah. he's so weird and that, <laughs> and he was weird <laughs> and that stuck with me because look i have a working class background i think like everyone like me when we allow ourselves to think okay so the kids of these tyrants and oligarchs are still kids. They still need to be schooled somewhere. And we were like, where would they be schooled? We always assume that, quite rightly, I, I think, that they're sprinkled 5%, 10% around, you know, like the big elite institutions across the planet. You know, and I love to sort of take something real and like really, really lean into the fiction of the thing. So I was like, all right, what if um, there was this elite school and instead of there being like, instead of the student body having like a 5 to 10% um, connection to, let's say, the underworld, what if 90 to 95% of the student body had these nefarious connections? I thought that would be kind of very cool to explore, almost like the school from like um, X-Men without any of the superpowers. Like it's, this is a school where the, the world's most elite and, mo and baddest motherfuckers send their kids to school, you know? Yep. And everyone's aware of it. So all the kids are very secretive about their, their parentage. Their, it's, it's its own special world. And to speak to Jenny's point, the other thing, and this is years ago when I started, like came up with the idea, um, I'm an older and guy. By the way, Flowerfield I, is the name of the school, obviously. Flowerfield is the name of the school. The school oh, is okay. called Flowerfield Institute. That's the title. Um, there's so many high school shows and done so well. For me, um, my point of difference was 
what if like an adult entered that world? So for me, from the very beginning, I wanted to enter the world through the eyes of a teacher. My parents being school teachers, I kind of took a lot of the experiences I grew up with and heard secondhand and just kind of extrapolated from there and doled up the fiction and doled up, you know, the spiciness of them all. But it was kind of informed by that. And the other idea was, you know, the other point of reference was this really great book. I think it was self-published by some guy in the 70s or the 80s. It was called... Um, I survived Swiss boarding schools. And this was something I read just very, very briefly. And it's kind it of sounds like that. something you would have read, Chris. <laughs> I know that book title. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. It, I, I think it was a self-published book, but I think it's kind of well-known. Yeah. And so I, from what I recall, I read this like, this is all around about the same time. It wasn't like a bam, bam, bam thing where I was reading. I saw the picture, then read the book. And like that, the book is exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's kind of expose and kind of the dark underbelly of these schools. So I I'd read those. Those were two initial points of reference, and I just finished Burner. I was like, I want to do play more in this space. Um, I love John le Carre. I love Shonda Rhimes. Those two things seem very disparate in terms of tone, but I'm like, I want to synthesize them. What's like a perfect synthesis of the tropey, super mainstream, super appealing, super addictive watchability of Shonda Rhimes with kind of the minutiae of tradecraft that John le Carre does? And Flowerfield is me throwing all those things in a blender, throwing my own voice in there, and, you know, that's the pilot. That's the show. It's fascinating. Nice. Nice pitch. Nice pitch. It's fascinating. It's, um, let me tell you, uh, and I, I love to tell this story, um, because every time um, we, you know, um, the winner becomes sort of percolates, you know, to the top, you know, it starts to become clear what's, you know, certainly the first, the top three or four, uh, scripts and um, I, I was I was mentioning this the other day in in a meeting that he and I were both on um, with a uh, company that wants to wants to option Flowerfield and I was nice, saying listen nice. yeah one of three right now actually so we've got some uh, hold options. Hold on, hold on, Mookie, awesome. Mookie, where's where's my ten percent? <laughs> it's in the <laughs> mail. It's in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Teddy. I'm sorry. I love it. <laughs> but I remember, <coughs> I remember reading this, and I was like, uh, "This is this is, you know, this is one of the top ones this year for sure." And I read the logline to my son, who you guys know, um, the candy eater. He continues to be the candy eater, <laughs> selling candy now. He just school. walked by he, your he, window. He, by he's walked behind bumping you. up. <laughs> you just walked right by him. Yeah, he went into his room. Um, uh, I read him the log line and he said, I I'd watch that. So he's 14. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then I read it to my best friend who's in her fifties. And, uh, she said, I totally watch that. And then I, I read it to my stepmother. These were all, I wasn't trying to do this. This was just like in having our conversations and kind of the final time of what was going to, you know, judges reading and stuff like that. And I read it to my stepmother, who's in her 70s. And she goes, oh, my God, I would totally watch that. So it was like it hit every kind of <laughs> demographic. Well, but, but, but see, it's interesting you do that because it hits the demographics because I feel like if you watch so if you look at the way things are now, you, you know, they they have to hit the, the, as many demographics as possible. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, yeah, I, I guess... I won't speak. I, I won't miss this because this hasn't come out yet. But a but a big writer friend of mine 
he's he was doing something. He's done something for Netflix, and he's doing something big for Netflix. And they turned in a draft that had a lot of fucks in it, Ooh. and it was like going to be rated R. And they said the two writers were like. They got pushed back from, you know, the top people, the top brass at Netflix. You had to take those fucks out. You only get two. And he was like, what are you talking about? Two like, on Netflix. <laughs> you know, he, was like, he was like, the guy who wrote this and the stars, like a known big star and blah, 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 blah. And he's a long time comedian. Great. And they were like, yeah. And he, they mentioned some of this guy's previous work, which has a lot of like foul language in it. And they were like, that movie wouldn't play today. And if it was played today, we wouldn't have it on Netflix because... Or we'd kind of like bury it in the system because wow. um, we want this, when 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 people are looking through shows, flipping through, we want stuff that 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 anybody could watch from any type of like you know demographic, you know. So they so they look for material yeah. that appeals to so many people at once. So because because you know when you're flipping through and it's like you might go up or down or left or right, not just whatever it is. Like you want the, like they want those movies to be stuff that like are family friendly to the extent anybody can stop on. Yeah, like it's not G, but it's like we're not gonna, you know, put like, you know, like like, you know, like uh like a Harry Potter thing next to like, you know, seven or some shit like that. Mm-hmm. I, we're not going to do that. And, that, and Mookie, by the way, that that came up in your early meetings, right? Because in the, in the first few pages of the of the of Flower Field, there's like uh, incest. Yeah. <laughs> and and people were like, "Whoa!" I wasn't expecting that, and I was like, "You might have you might end up having to take this out of the pilot, you know, and just let it roll with you know what happens as it as it unfolds." But that that, that was, was a great, note that you got early on. That's a great note that that. Yeah. In this climate, yes. Yeah, that whole thing of people want something that has that crossover potential but can still be firmly marketed as, say, a show for adults. But if it's on, like, your Netflix queue, you, you kind of don't want that um, scary contrast of the Harry Potter sitting right next to Seven, you know. So, yeah, that's definitely a note I got as well. Yeah. Is, is there – I was just going to – I haven't read it. I'm just more curious. Is there a way to imply – that's you know, precisely Jenny's note, and it made the draft that much stronger. Okay. We, we went, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we went sometimes there's something. Yeah. Sometimes there's something to you know the person going in the room and having to close the door. <laughs> we know what happens. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's even worse yeah, that now we're saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. I mean, yes. No, no. Like, I mean, you know what? Again, this is my issue, right? I hate to get on my soapbox, but we'll get on my soapbox here. <laughs> This is all the <laughs> because this is what I don't like about modern work. Modern work has lost its edge because of this whole thing. Like you watch stuff and you're like, it's interesting and it's cool, but it doesn't leave you with the jolt that much because it's like things have been they're they're being rubbed down so that everyone can watch it. You know, I think and and it's okay for television, but I feel like that's like the bane of cinema. Where it, where it only becomes like it's got to be streamers like streamers is is the only outlet for making movies because you don't get to go to the theater places like you know not a24 and neon but the smaller companies that used to put out really impressive work um, stuff that we all can remember and go shit that movie was dope as shit uh, you know like 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 those companies don't survive and th- those film voices don't survive I mean there was this guy what was his name? Todd, I think Todd Solance, 
happiness like welcome to the dollhouse yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that happiness like, welcome to the dollhouse yeah. yeah those are like his whole catalog of movies wouldn't be getting made today yeah yeah no. oh yeah no you know absolutely not you got to go you got to go to all the this whole we, you know we can't we don't want to kill your voice and all but we're gonna kill your voice uh <laughs> is, is, is what they yeah. would do yeah. let me let me ask you a question Luke. yeah I've I've noticed. Sorry, sorry, Jenny. I apologize. I okay, noticed. No. I noticed that at least with the two projects you brought up, the burner, burner. Yeah, that's correct. Yep. Yep. Burner, yeah. bur- the the burner and um, flower field. Like it's, burner phone, like a burner phone. Okay, got it. Are both led by women? Yes. And here you are, a man in 2022, writing yep. these strong female characters. How do you how do you push back against that? Like one, I think one of the reasons why you get away with it, at least understanding how you came up with Burner, for example, is you use that example of your sister, you know, and then that, um, that, uh, uh, what's that, what's that word he used again? The, the bamboo ceiling. The bamboo ceiling. You know what I mean? Nobody bamboo, else is going to know that. Ceiling. You know what I mean? So it's like, it, not in America, unless they, you know, have your heritage and understand that. But mm-hmm. it's like, uh, to me, I, oh, that's why I always tell people. When you go to these meetings, you got to lead. When they ask you, so tell me about the next, you know, what are you working on? They don't just want you to throw out, here's a log line. They want you to give them a little twist on why, on why you wrote the thing and here's the thing you wrote. You know what I mean? The people always don't, people don't think you can do that. But the reason you do that is because you tell them, here's why I'm the expert without right. saying it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So to me, I, and, I understand. And by the way. Right, I'm sorry. I was going to say, not only is it a, not only is um, Flower Fields lead a woman, but she's a black woman. Oh, mm-hmm. dope! Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so you really um, can. And, and her handler <laughs> is a is a you know a white guy, and uh, and the the school is of course mixed with lots of nice different diverse. nationalities and stuff like so. It's very international. Okay. <clears throat> see, me. see the the thing that that, that like I'm curious to see in your show about the underworld people and all this stuff at the boarding school is what's that PTA meeting looking like? What's that parent? <laughs> <laughs> you going to tell me about my kid? What are you going to tell me about my kid? I need to hear. We, well, yeah, say. there is some of that. Well, we talked about that. To see one of these intimidating parents. Yeah. yeah. We talked about that on, on deadly class. There was, there was a, there was going to be something like that where it's like, what do what if there was a big PTA meeting and Bubba, like, what's going to happen when this gang and the Crips come in against the mob and the Mexican mafia and, like, all this shit? It was hilarious. Well, see, well, look, look, there is some of that I, in the, I think in the what's, what's interesting about, you know, again, I, I'm going to come back on the soapbox again. You know, it's like, it's interesting, and we're in this climate where there's, like, these demarcation lines of what people... Are like what stories people are allowed to tell, mm-hmm. you know, based upon your race, your gender, you know, and your sexuality. Yeah. And I, I find I always find a bit um, hard to swallow. You know, I also think the thing about like the strong female characters is kind of a weird thing because I, I, I think about that as is that a is, like is that a byproduct of the rise of the blockbuster in the 70s you know because i was just looking at a movie the other the other that other night called butterfield eight with 
with um, Elizabeth Taylor. Oh, yeah. And, and I was like, yeah, and I was like, for that. I was like, I was like, I was like, I was like, you know what? They don't really make. There's not actresses like her, and they don't make movies that are like this. They don't. They stop making movies that have these that the 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 woman's story's essential premise. Um, and I look at it as like, oh, that's because the rise of the blockbusters, you know. And it it was probably two, three generations of of that we're gonna that we're gonna regulate films to the, that are about women to this, you know, and 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 we're and, and and we're gonna push them down with like their their potential, you know, economic value. But it's cool for what you're writing, you know, because the right of black woman. I mean, it's something that that, that I say. You know, something that you you have to experience because you're you're Indian and you're growing up in New Zealand is you're a minority and and therefore you know what it's like to deal with oppression and you know what it's like to deal with the discrimination and I feel that you know you have a leg up on how to write a like a woman or a, write someone black you know to a degree than you know than than like a typical white guy because you experience mm-hmm. that you know in some places and, he's considered black yeah <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. so that's the irony yeah. <laughs> but go ahead, yeah. go ahead and answer that that's true. so yeah so i i, I so I mean, I mean it's it's very interesting i i think i think it, it just lo- like lends to your ability to write something that feels feels more honest you know right because of your own experience so yeah look i think that those are like that's a fantastic question to ask and you know and people should be asking those kind of questions especially these days and i guess for me it's like it comes down to authenticity right because when people ask that question you know you're not black you're not a woman you're an indian woman you're an asian woman why should you be writing this these particular stories you know and i think the question they're really trying to get at is authenticity right are you able to authentically capture the voice and perspective of a character that you might not share a direct direct connection to and, you know, in whatever case, gender, race, politics, religion, whatever. And um, I guess my answer to that, or the way I see it, rather, is that there's a couple ways of looking at authenticity. Um, and the first most obvious way is just, you know, sure, let's look, let's call it optics. I'm a dude to South Asian heritage. So could I, for instance, write a movie about a teenage Japanese woman going through some kind of dramatic struggle in Tokyo, right? And at a glance, the most obvious answer is no. Me and a teenage Japanese woman have nothing in common, you know, on the surface. But I would say, you know, there are situations and experiences and emotions, like Chris said, Chris has mentioned that, like, I've had, that this hypothetical Japanese woman has had, that I can absolutely relate to, that I can absolutely convey, you know, and share as a writer in an authentic way. So I think, you know, as long as the main plot of whatever narrative isn't built entirely on the nuances of, say, identity and place, but on the emotions and the emotional journey of a story, then I think absolutely any writer can effectively write, you know, almost any character, and I almost is key there. And and if I rephrase all of that... <laughs> if I rephrase... No, no, I, yeah, I think you're right. I, I totally agree with you, because I feel like, A, to me, it's the ultimate power of cinema. You know, is is for me to understand someone else's experience, and I feel like if if the experience was so foreign to me as a human because I don't have that, you know, I'm not the the, uh, because I'm not the teenage girl from Tokyo. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be able to 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 appreciate that movie. Right. You know, but but I can appreciate that movie. I mean, there's a movie. What's it called? Babel, right? Babel is, is like that. Like, there's that yeah, moment. Pitt, in the story. Yeah. yeah, Brad Pitt, that uh, 
uh, Alejandro Inaritu directed and I think co-wrote. But he's got a storyline in there where the girl is a deaf girl who's a teenage teenage girl in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 it's a really affecting storyline. You know, right? And yeah. You watch it, and you're just kind of like, he got no experience with this, but it, but <laughs> but it rings true emotionally. You know, so it's, yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting, Chris, what you were saying about the rise of the um, blockbuster. At first, I was like, where is he going with this? And then, you know, I think because that was such a testosterone laden time. Mm-hmm. That um, and there was all of that talk in Hollywood. I remember it, where women couldn't get a job, and you know, women were relegated to being the girl or the girlfriend or the supporting role or whatever. And nope, there were no great, you know, roles. And there was a lot of talk about that, like in the '80s and, and the '90s and stuff like that. And of course, what we've seen is television. Television has risen up to create this, you know, uh, this melange of, of opportunities for these incredible female roles that, that you kind of are able to kind of, like you say, click, you know, you get the whole screen, your whole Netflix screen or your Hulu screen or whatever that you sort of click on. You're like, yeah, I could, I can, I could get into this, you know, I could, I could get into this and it's there, it's available to you. It's not like you have to you know, and it is sort of the mix of what do you do about, you know, uh, streamers versus actually going into a theater and, and all of the, how that's affecting the whole industry. Um, I do think that television has created a whole new world for, a few, you know, for, for women in, in a way. For sure. That, uh, oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, that that I mean, like, the blockbuster did take away. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that, two, I mean, like two of the, pro- two of the TV projects I'm developing now have women at the center because I know that that I know that from an economic and business standpoint, you know this is viable. And then from the characters I'm creating, I'm like, oh, I know that women would love to play this kind of role. I know mm-hmm. they would love to this like some shit that that they don't get to play. Uh, at, at, you know that that most people you know like don't get to play like even men, and then and 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 to give that opportunity to a woman, they would jump at the chance. I mean, I just saw a clip on like Viola Davis's. Now this is. Oh, sorry. On her Instagram, she's playing that African queen. This new mm-hmm. she did, and she's like she's leading the charge at night through like some with some machete, and I was like, yeah, that's like the mm-hmm. that's the Shaka Zulu movie. But she was her. dying to do a role like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Go ahead, Jimmy. Well, and that's what we were talking about on this call the other uh, the other day, which is you know this is a limited series, and we were talking you know Flowerfield is a limited uh, limited prestige series or whatever, and we were talking about whether you know in the meetings that you know with with pods or with networks and you know streamers, are they going to ask you know could this be a an ongoing show, you know, and they said to Mookie, you should have an answer to that. You know, you should have some idea of that, yes. you know, um, even though it's not right now constructed that way. And, you know, the idea is, of course, if you want to get a movie star, you make, you write, <laughs> you write a limited series, um, you know, because uh, nobody wants to sign five years of their life away anymore mm-hmm. at that, at that level, you know, right. Um, and I think people miss those shows, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. to some degree. I do. I do. To, you know, I mean, how many, you know, 
law and order has been on for, you know, almost longer than I've been alive. I wish, but whatever. I'm just saying, like, you know, everything is, you know, what's this week, you know, and can right. I, can Every, I. And everything's serialized now. It's not standalone. Everything's serialized. Can I. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I mean, um, what's the one that was on? I binge it, you know. Uh, Night Manager. Who can we know? get for it? I, I thought there'd be more projects like Night Manager mm-hmm. in the in the wake of that. Mm. Um, you and me both. You because know, there's so many. Yeah, there's so there's so many great little books that lend themselves to like, oh, you know, this is it's, it's a. I mean, that show is on now on HBO um, Station Eleven, which is amazing. <clears throat> and I remember reading that book, and I remember a couple several years ago, and I remember that. Um, that really Scott had optioned it. And I was like, he, this is not a movie. This would never be a movie. It's too, it's too layered. And, you know, this is before Chernobyl comes out and before, and even before, you know, I'm like, Oh, maybe there's a way to do this as like, as, as like a limited series, you know? And I feel like, you know, there is the option, there's an opportunity to do that now. I mean, uh, I mean, it means that for your show, it's is, is it HBO? Is it Showtime? Is it Apple? It's probably Apple, you know, more than anything, it sounds like to me. Um, if, yeah, it's you know, Amazon, it's Apple, it's HBO. I think those are yeah, the three top. Yeah, yeah, just because, you know, they've had some success. Uh, what's the, there's like the one that Chris Evans was in. And I was like, Chris Evans is not doing a TV show. He ain't got too much money, but but he'll do but he'll do like this Apple miniseries, you know, and be yeah. done and out. So that's yeah, that's, that's, yeah. This is what we used to call miniseries. Remember that? Yeah. This, this is what miniseries exactly. used to be. You know? They just changed the word. Yeah. They changed the word. That's it. They just changed the word. We talking some of the other. We talking about like a. Uh, uh, rich man, poor man. We were talking about the other day, and I was like, "Good God!" Oh yeah, rich man, poor man. Stuff like that. Say, the only other thing they used to do, Jenny, is they would show it all in a week. Yeah, if you think about well, that's it. That's right, though. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's now they right. spread Monday, it all Tuesday, out. Wednesday, two hours each night or something like. That. Yeah. yeah, I remember it well. I remember it well. The Thornbirds, remember that one? Yep, Thornbirds. Yep, yep. With uh, <laughs> Richard Chamberlain. Yep, yep, yep. I remember all that so, stuff. Yeah. So Mookie, so, yeah, so anyway. um, it sounds like, um, you know, you're getting some great feedback from these meetings, you know, mm-hmm. said you're getting some options, you know, coming in. That's a great sign. Right. A great Absolutely. sign that you're on the right track, you know? So be sure. And I know Jenny has already been through this process. She's got many writers from the script to the screen. So you're in great hands. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I am, and I think um, for me, because I've done the contest thing like a couple of different times in the past, the main point of difference with finish line is basically just Jenny. Like, so in the past, in, in the past, like you win one of these things and um, the price in the most part is an email blast. And I think one time I won an Amazon gift card, which was special. But um, outside of that, that's that's kind of the draft. Like, uh, I already use it. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And so... This time it's been completely different. I mean, like Jenny's been amazing from the very beginning. She's been generous, almost far too generous with her time and experiences and insights. Because when you're someone like me, effectively a complete outsider, and you're looking at these like competing options and opportunities and that kind of thing, you need someone with um, an ex- with so you need an experienced ear to like sort of bounce what you're thinking in the moment. And Jenny's been amazing with that. So yeah, like. Flowerfield, I mean, sorry, with finish line, outside of whatever they say, um, you win on the um, 
the prize winners page. The real prize is Jenny. So yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, wow. Well. I will cry. I remember, though, I mean, um, I, I'm touched. I truly am. I remember, though, um, Mookie was like, you know, the thing is that, like, for for this year, Mookie met 36 people. Um, this year, we've got 47 mentors. Most of those people are, are like, senior VPs. They're presidents mm -hmm. of the companies. You know, they're, 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 you know, they're the head yeah. of of television at the, Jenny's, at the Jenny's company Jenny's Rolodex is deep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My Rolodex is deep. deep. And I remember Mookie saying, like, I, I'm not sure how to talk to these people. <laughs> like, I've only <laughs> talked to the people at the mid-level or the lower level. I said, they're, they're perfectly nice people. I make sure that they're perfectly nice people. And I think that it's been a great experience of just kind of learning that, you know, people are just really looking for good material. And so these people, you know, they are the heads of the company. It's a bit easy to get to that next level or it takes one more read instead of five more reads, you know, and that, you know, even though it's still that much more, the same amount of time, everything takes fucking forever, okay. of course, mm -hmm. even if it's just one more read eat. that we're I'll waiting for. I'll say this. I'll say this. But, yeah. I'll say this. Sorry, Jenny. I'll say this yeah. to you, Mookie. Know this. Just since, since we're all gushing about Jenny, just really quick, just know that she was already a manager at some of these top places. She knows yes. this. She she's knows how to guide a writer in a certain type of way, right? And, 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 and her, like I said, her Rolodex is deep is another thing. But here's the other thing you got to remember this. That whole little... Um, um, I don't want to call it a circus, the, the, all the generals and everything you went on, sure. all the meetings. That water bottle tour was a good thing for you. Some, all of them aren't going to be perfect though, right? Some of them are going to be like, shit, why did we even do that, right? Mm -hmm. But the ones, all you need is one. Right. right? Yeah. And you got to remember exactly what she just said a moment ago. Every producer, every executive wants to be the one to get the script that comes in. That's the one. Right. Absolutely. So if you walk in a meeting knowing that, you never are worried about why am I here. Right. Absolutely. And that's kind you of what Jenny always says. You know, we're exactly. all hunting for that one yes. I mean, all the all what's called the decision makers. You're all hunting for a yes. So it's not in the interest to be unpleasant or like kind of short with you. And right. my entire experience, all 36, is every single person was lovely, almost exceedingly lovely. And these are people right. like I would never have dreamt of being able to be sat in a room with them. You know. I'd finish a meeting going like, I wanted to grab a beer with that dude. That that was yeah, yeah, super pleasant. Sure. I had no idea that dude was like in charge of like a multi-million dollar production slate. You would think he, we were just chilling like at a pub or something. So, right. and and Jenny's been careful to curate that. Uh, that's not by accident. You know, it's kind of by design. Like mm -hmm. I think she always selects the, the the best eyes to look at material that that are kind of like aligned with their particular creative taste. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, I I it's it's just been very nice to read. Um, to get the feedback from people that the thing you're writing and your voice has a place here, and it'll find it'll find an audience in time, and that's its own organic process and journey. But you know, this has all been fantastic, and it's just more like uh, affirmation for me to be like, keep doing it, man, keep grinding. You're almost exactly, there. Exactly, exactly. You know, I just want to say one thing along the lines. I know we got to wrap up soon, but along the lines of um, Hilliard, what you were saying about like everybody's looking for something and. Um, I was talking to one of the companies is uh, led by 
you know, a friend, you know, friend of mine uh, <laughs> who's been at many places and is now, this is a company that uh, is an actor's company, a well-known mm -hmm. actor's company. <clears throat> and um, she had met with, with Mookie and, you know, like everybody's crazy. Everybody's, you know, they, they're, they're doing these meetings. They don't know that they're going to find something as freaking amazing that can come out of a finish line and other competitions. Right. Um, or I'll just say finish line, but anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that can just, that can come out of, you know, and they're like, wow. I mean, this came out of a script competition and you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, you guys know that I, you know, got good taste. I'm going to bring you the good stuff. And, and that's why they come on to be mentors because right. they know they're going to get good material. But my point is, is that I was talking to one of them. She had met with Mookie a while ago. It's kind of crazed, had a really good meeting with him. And then she and I were talking about Girl Scout cookies because you know it's Girl Scout cookie time. <laughs> I mean, okay. it's, and we're like, where are the Girl Scout cookies? And we're talking about it. And she's like, wait a second. Did I miss out on Flowerfield? Is it still available? You know? Mm. And I'm like, it's still available. I mean, we're pretty close to mm -hmm. going some, you know, taking it off the market. And she's like, hold on, you know? And now it's a very viable, another very viable mm. option. And that's how this works, you know? Yep. And you never know how it's going to work. You know, I we kind of thought she was... I, I did, at least. I thought, well, she had a really good meeting with Mookie, and she's great, and mm -hmm. that wasn't for them. But And it was for them. She just needed to be reminded of it. But it also and, helps. You know, and, and Tagalongs and Thin Mints did the trick. So, <laughs> right. Thin Mints know, are, are, are crack. So yeah, you, they added an emotional yeah. spike, and everyone's like, oh, shit, I need more of those, and it was a good script. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to say, it, it also helps. Like 10% now. It also helps. There's something about this industry, and, and, and specifically our industry, whether it's music or, or, or film and TV, where nobody wants to be the one who isn't in on, in on the hot thing. As soon as they hear somebody, who, who wants it? Oh, well, wait a minute. Yeah. We need to, that's how you get a bidding war. It's yeah. because somebody well, else heard, you know. Last night, we were, I was e emailing and said, you know, and that's it. Like, we're close to, you know, we have an offer. We can we can go there. It, it's going to happen. There's no doubt that it's going to go, you know, I mean, it's going to go out to places. We've got, mm -hmm. we've got an offer from a production company, but there are other ones who still, and it's just taking, it's taking their own, it's taking time because this, this other place, uh, the director, it, who run, it's a director run company. Um, oh, that always takes doing, forever. It's doing yeah. forever. He's <laughs> doing a huge, huge, huge new, uh, I'm not going to say who it is, but okay. doing a big music, uh, just did a musical, did one of the biggest rom romantic comedies of the last five years, I would say, three years. Anyway, I'm talking to his TV person on the email yesterday, and I'm like, we could do this, you know, maybe they would partner. She's like, hey, I'm open to partnering. Tell me about this company. You know, like I, you know, I don't know a lot about them. Tell me. And now, like, who, I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, the thing is, I love this. See, like I used to be a manager. I don't want to be a manager for 50 people, but mm -hmm. I want to be a manager for like, I get, I get to be a manager every year for like three to four of our winners, you right, know? Right, right. And it's so satisfying because it still, you know, makes me feel like I can help in that way. Um, and we get, and we get great, great results. I mean, like 
last year. I'm just going to do, I'm, can I do my right, little, give it, give it. let me do my little finish my thing. Um, last year's winner, Guy Rowland, whose script Revelation um, is, uh, he got signed at Echo Lake and they're, you know, nice. they're, they're producing it too. Um, and now uh, last night we found out that an Oscar winning actress wants to do it. Yeah. That took a year. Yeah, exactly. But that took a year of people saying they were going to read it, not reading it, us waiting and waiting and waiting, then deciding to move on, then this, then that, you know, and do we go to an actress? Do we go to a, you know, uh, director first? All of this kind of stuff. So that's happening. Um, we have our social impact competition, which deals with socially relevant stories. Mm -hmm. um, we have our new winner. Uh, I've just gone out with that, her, um, her latest script. Um, to about seven producers yesterday. Um, she finally got, you know, the rewrite right. And uh, that's about addiction. The one before that, you met Dr. Stephanie Dunn. She's from mm -hmm. Morehouse. And she did the Chicago 66. That's been optioned by a two-time Oscar winning actor. I can't nice. say the name. But like, it's happening. It happens. And it takes time. And everybody thinks, you know, it's them. You know, they're being ghosted. And a lot a lot of it, it feels like ghosting. A lot of it is ghosting, by the way, which is horrible. It's the worst thing about this business. Yeah. We live in we're the most passive-aggressive business ever. Yes, yes it's, the manners are horrible. Mm. But um, a lot of it just takes freaking time, you know? And, and it does help to have somebody who is a manager or somebody who runs a company, you know, a competition mm -hmm. or whoever, uh, you know, pushing and, and continually kind of, you know, dealing behind the scenes. So we're in our seventh year. I mean, Mookie, as you can tell, is incredibly charming, intelligent uh, guy who's, you know, going to completely break through. I have no doubt in, in my mind. That I'm not charming. I, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not getting charming. Your text in the mail charming. as well. Hey. <laughs> I, by the way, I didn't have any conversation about what he was supposed to say before this. I was like, <laughs> just let me, let you know, just, I told, I told him to slow down because he talks so fast. That's the only bit of advice I gave him. I thought um, he did. But yeah, I mean, it's I working. It's working. I, it's such an exciting thing that it works. So yeah. come, awesome. we're in our early, early bird submissions. We're, Tell people about submit your, the submission. as is. Or, submit. Yeah, you can submit your script as is if you're certain it's ready or if that's what you can afford. Um, we always have the low prices. We never go above 45 bucks for a submission. I don't understand anybody who does. And we give some of the greatest notes. And I'm saying that because, first of all, I know they're great notes, but also a lot of people say that. Um, and uh, you can rewrite and resubmit for free throughout the competition. That's so, still, still the craziest you, thing you do. I, I mean, I don't mean crazy as you're crazy, but crazy yeah. as, wow. No, and uh, yeah, and people love it, you know, and you don't, you can keep purchasing script notes to see how you're doing, vibe, or you can go to your friend and have them give you notes or whatever, but you can keep sending it in because no script is ready when you send it. Everybody knows that, Mookie said it at the beginning, everybody agreed, you send it and then you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> that scene can still I just don't think, think that's fair and that's what this was that's why Finish Line was created it was created around that idea that it's not fair to send in the script and then have that be representative of the script so keep working on it do your best we'll help you certainly but to me, help, you to, to, me, to me what I love about that is 
It actually, because you're giving notes from people who are their industry caliber notes. So it kind of lets the writer get a sense of the development process ahead of time, you know, because you know, whatever you turn in, you know, I mean, like, even if you're doing like a network draft, you know, like a network thing, you know, you're going to turn in a draft. And they're going to do notes. They're going to they're going to have to do notes right. because they're going to have feelings about what's going on. There's all these politics you don't know about, or what their tastes are, or what they know their boss, or all this kind of stuff that you just don't know. Um, and therefore, you you I, I remember you know I did this thing at um I did this there was a, a seminar I took at Disney where um, this woman named DMA she held this thing and it was like in a, it was an afternoon she kind of went through like how Disney address not Disney but ABC like how they address material and she wanted us to look at the um uh blackish pilot as kind of our as like the walkthrough example and but but she didn't give us the pilot to she's you can't take this home and I was like I was kept saying like why is that why is that and when I went home I went online and like found like found like three like released versions of the pilot yeah. that were all earlier so they're all different they're, yeah. they're all earlier drafts yeah. than, than what than, than what the one we looked at because the one we looked at was the one that had gone through all the network executive notes mm-hmm. that they were ready to shoot and you look at the other drafts and it's like and it was interesting to kind of see the difference of like what shifted, what was like, you know, or eliminated or what just was like honed down or different things, you know, to get because she was very she was like, look, we have this very strict thing that if you don't have this happening by page 10, they're automatically going to reject your script if you are someone trying to get you know, like recognized here. And I was looking at his script and I was like, yeah, but that that in moment doesn't happen to page 14 on the original draft. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But the draft that they mm-hmm. no, that went they went to shooting with, he had they had moved it down to to get it to page ten. And I was like, mm-hmm. it's interesting yeah. kind of to look at. So it's interesting to it's have all about their ag breaks. Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting to have that that opportunity with your competition because it's like, well, yeah, it is. They are development level notes because I've been giving notes since I was nineteen, and I know how I know story. But also, when if you if you continue to enter. Um, and get notes. And there's always people who enter and, and get a cup, one set. And some people get two or three or four. I mean, you know, it just depends on what they can afford or what they, you know, what they what they want to do. Is that you get the same script consultant looking at your script the whole the, throughout. That's, that's important. Yeah, yeah. So that they're they're, they're tr- notes. tracking the changes. They're tracking how you're developing and how you're taking the notes. How you're you know, how you're implementing them, what you're not implementing, you know, how how it's improved from the last time. So it's not like a, fr- you know, what you send it to another competition, it's just a brand new set of eyes on it who has a brand new, who have total, totally different ideas. So yeah, we, we set it up so that it would mimic the development process in that way. Um, and yeah, I mean, people, people, like people say, yeah, I didn't win, but I, you know, I learned so much about how to write through this process, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, listen, I, I, I'm very uh, sympathetic to financial problems and I'm always, you know, people are like, you know, the writer, the financial, you know, world of the writer and can they afford notes? And I'm, I'm, I'm willing to make deals and help people out. I've certainly done that. I'm doing that right now with certain people, I'm sure. but it's, 
Yeah. So you know, but it, it's a it's a it's a great feeling. It's a great feeling to feel like somebody is getting. Right. Whether it's thirty-six yeah. meetings or just a better script, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 interesting, it's interesting. You say that you that you this you you make sure the same consultant is reading the script because it's just like if you, you know, I I know on my show, you know, like the same executives are reading it. You're talking with them after two and three, you know, the studio, the network notes, the studio notes. So you know, so and those people are aware of what was before, and they're and they're like, hey, can we see more of this, or are we going to see less of this? And it just it just allows you to, to say, hey, um, you know, like like you said, like you like you see the the process. So and it, and it, and it's yeah. not uh, uh, different every time. So, yeah. Yep. yep. Well, thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you, Mookie. Thank you for having. Oh, thank you. Nice. It's all, always guys. Indeed. Hey, Jenny, where where are you at? Where where can people follow you on on Twitter? And oh yeah. Okay. Uh, Twitter is finished on script. Uh, we're on cover. You can enter us through Coverfly or Film Freeway. Um, finish Line Script Competition. www.finishlinescriptcomp.com. Uh, Facebook, Instagram. Finish Line Script Competition. We're around. Please awesome. find us. Sure. You won't be sorry. <laughs> I promise. I promise you will not be sorry. It's you know. I gotta say real quick. This biz, the the script competition business has become like, it's like there's these big companies and they're cornering the market and it, it can be difficult and frustrating sometimes for a company like mine to sort of, that is a little, you know, I don't have a hundred thousand dollars of marketing money and this right. is and that and I'm doing my best. I, I appreciate, so appreciate you having me on every year to, to talk about it. Um, and I always get a lot of great uh, res uh, responses from uh, from Rant Room, so I appreciate you guys so very much. No and it's just I'm just I'm trying to you know stay stay relevant here. Well, I can't offer everything that you know a uh, you know this company or that company, big companies can. I think that what we offer is more personalized and more I don't think I don't think any other companies offering th over thirty you know, meetings. No, they're not. And oh. I don't know why that doesn't mean that everybody and their mother should be entering the finish line. <laughs> they should be. Nobody no, gets that. It, well, know, nobody that, gets the kind of notes and 36, you know, plus meetings. Mm -hmm. They get seven meetings and they don't get the name of the people that they're meeting. Maybe they're, you know, like a, a director of something or, right. and that's fine. I'm not negating any level of thing. I'm just saying, we're giving you the top of the line people that are going to be meant, you know, there's two people that are meant, you know, said to Mookie, we want to stay in touch and mentor you. We want to mentor you. We don't sure. want to just stop here. We want to continue to work with you. So it's like, come on, come on guys. Here we are. Opportunity awaits. Well, I'm hoping that this will be your end. You know, Thank so you, this, this show will go to the air. And everybody and we'll can call say, both of you. Line. And then, You'll come aboard. You know what I mean? Hillary yeah, and I mean, Chris. I, I think you know I can write that show. I clearly uh, can write uh, that show. Uh, uh, <laughs> you, you know first, you can. Yeah. <laughs> I need to be two as a producer on this show. I need to be <laughs> exactly. I'll be good. You heard it here first. Where are you at, Mookie? Where can people follow you? Absolutely nowhere. nowhere. I am terrified oh, of social come media. On, dude. I ironically, my day job, nowhere. I'm a digital marketing executive. That's and so I'm 
I guess like you're the guy who works at Burger King, the last thing he wants to do when he clocks off is think about Whoppers. I'm the same way. I clock off work. I do not want to think about Twitter and stuff. But, you know, that being said, I have a very unique name. Google me. And if I'm up to anything spicy or badass, I'm sure it'll pop up. (laughs) This is one of the frustrating things, although I'm so... I'll tell you what's interesting is that um, a lot of our winners don't do social media. I'm always surprised. I'm always surprised. I know. And it's frustrating to a degree because, I mean, you know, I got to do everything, Mookie. But I also respect it. It's very interesting. Yeah. Very few people. I respect it a lot because I don't like what I get from social media as a writer is. It's not it's like I mean, like I'm like. I'm involved in conversations, but it's, it's, it's not like I got a job from anything or, or even or anything that was even an interview for a job. It's all, you know, like that's more through word of mouth or, or yeah. it's actually just through word of mouth, you know, and I feel like you, you, that you can do what you want the right way if people just are aware of you and talk about you, you know, it doesn't have to be through Twitter. Um, yeah. And some people do get stuff through Twitter. They're, so, I don't want to negate no, that. I, all I know, the time. Just people, do all all the time. All, people do all the time. But, you know, but like, yep. I haven't found it to be, and, and maybe it's just the way that I engage in it, but I don't have the, yep. the mindset or I want to do my own shit and I'm just like, ah, I had enough time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, with that, with that. Um, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Where are you at, Chris? Uh, <laughs> unauthorized CBD on Twitter <laughs> and Instagram. That's that. <laughs> And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter. It's not CBD. It's not. It's his middle name. And it's his Yeah, name. it's my middle name. So. It's just, yeah, it's not. It's not. I, 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 have to you, I, I get so much cannabis shit. It's like, God damn it, stop following me. I have my followers are cannabis people. I'm like, I don't sell shit. <laughs> anyway, you can find me on Twitter, at Hilliard Guest. Uh, you guys can follow me on um Instagram, Clubhouse, all that shit. I'm everywhere. Um, also, follow the show, Screenwriters RR on Twitter. Um, any questions, screenwritersrentroom at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you listen to, Google Play. We're everywhere all over the world. We're in, even in Australia. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and um, so please follow us. And what else, Chris? Uh, and you can support the show at ScreenwritersRR.com where you'll find a link to our Patreon page where you can support the show with various different tiers of how you want to support $2, $5, $10, what it's just per month or it's a single donation. You could do that, and we'd very much appreciate it. Indeed, and, indeed. Uh, yeah, it's at ScreenwritersRR.com. For sure, for sure. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank uh, you. Everybody join me for... 2022 okay 2022 rocks yes yes. until we figure out a new catchphrase (laughs) of course wakanda will be out soon we'll probably go right back to wakanda forever so we'll see um (laughs) anyway everybody thank you again we appreciate having you good luck to you mookie we wish you all the best man you know keep keep on writing it will get you out of every hole and it will get it will open up every door so appreciate that man thanks for having me on indeed um, so everybody, guys. thank you again, Jenny. Um, you. you guys know how we do it on the rant room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what everybody. Twenty twenty two. Peace, y'all. Hi, guys. Thank you. I'ma say what I feel, and I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the rant room. Boom, boom, boom.
rider Well, you gotta be a rider Till your fears are diminishing and the doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed In the rent room, we let that shit up off our chest You know the street nerd has got no time for no caca Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja Never have to guess when you're listening to Hillier He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel, say what you want Welcome to the Red Room.